Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. everyone, this is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 62 and today we are talking about angina. So if you listen to my episode last time, episode 61, we talked about acute coronary syndrome. And when we're talking about acute coronary syndrome, we start talking about angina. So I thought we should discuss all the different types of angina so that you have a clear idea of what you're dealing with when you're taking care of patients in the hospital and writing those care plans. So in this episode, we'll talk about what is angina, what are the four different types, what causes it, how we're going to assess angina and some of the differences between the types, and also, very importantly, what you, the nurse, are going to do about it. So angina is this general term you'll hear a lot, and it refers simply to chest pain that's related to that heart not getting enough oxygen. So like I mentioned just a moment ago, there are several different types of angina. They have different causes. They have different treatments. So it's really key that you understand the different types because this will be on your exams. It will be part of your care plans. And you also want to be that really astute, smart nurse and nursing student who can identify patients who are at risk of serious complications. So understanding angina starts with learning these four types, and they're essentially categorized by their key features. The one thing they all have in common, though, is that they all involve some level of ischemia to the heart muscle. And remember, ischemia is basically not getting enough oxygen. That tissue is suffering from lack of oxygen. So the first angina that we're going to talk about is angina pectoris. This also may be referred to by your instructors, or you may hear it in the hospital, called stable angina. And that's because it's pretty stable. It's pretty predictable. It's usually related to the patient exerting themselves. So anything that can cause stress can also bring it on. Smoking, emotional distress, even having a very large meal could cause stable angina to come on. I even saw one article that said extreme temperatures can cause stable angina. So basically, when you're thinking about stable angina, think of things that can cause stress. The main one that you'll hear is exercise. So your patient with stable angina will have pretty predictable triggers for their pain and 
they'll be able to tell you what relieves it. Is it rest? Is it nitroglycerin? Is it a combination of both? This often occurs in patients who have atherosclerosis that build up in the arteries, causing those coronary arteries to get more narrow. Now, if those coronary arteries get completely blocked, we're going to have much bigger problems as you may have remembered from the acute coronary syndrome podcast. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you definitely want to check it out. The next kind of angina that we'll talk about is called variant angina. You may also see it called prismatol. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it starts with a P and it has a Z in the middle. Variant angina. So the deal with this type is that it can occur at rest. So that's pretty scary. It often occurs in the middle of the night or early in the morning. And it's basically due to the coronary arteries spasming. And the treatments for this are typically nitroglycerin and calcium channel blockers. Know that the pain with this variant angina can be severe and can be very scary for your patients. Now, another form is called microvascular angina, and this is a spasm of those microvascular arteries, those little tiny ones that surround the heart. This is related to ischemic heart disease, very complicated disease to manage. These patients will have pain that's going to last longer than maybe their stable angina. It's going to be 30 minutes, and it can really, really be severe. This type of angina sometimes responds to medications, may not. So it could be classified as what we call an unstable angina. And then we have true unstable angina as the fourth type. This is a medical emergency, and we talked about it in the acute coronary syndrome podcast and blog post. So unlike that stable angina, the unstable form is not going to follow any predictable pattern. So if your patient has stable angina or angina pectoris, and you know, it always occurs when they walk up more than one flight of stairs, and they know that it is likely to happen then. And now suddenly they're getting the same pain but they weren't doing anything. So that is an unpredictable pattern. It's a difference from their norm. It can occur at rest. It can occur with physical activity. And here's the really scary part. It may not be relieved by medications. So unstable angina is extremely serious and if left untreated, can progress to a myocardial infarction. So again, If you want to learn more about it and acute coronary syndrome, we did a whole blog post and podcast on that. I believe it is podcast episode 60 or 61. So go and check that out. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what causes it. So as I mentioned briefly in the very beginning, angina is going to be a result of the heart not getting enough blood flow. So if you're not getting enough blood flow, you're not getting enough oxygen. And we can have decreased blood flow for different reasons. So that vessel could be narrowed due to that buildup of plaque or narrowed due to a spasming that we talked about. You can even have reduced blood flow due to a condition called polycythemia vera or secondary polycythemia. So this is a disease that results in the overproduction of red blood cells 
and it can often be very dangerously high level. So little personal story here for those of you who have listened to the podcast or read the blog post for a while, you may have read my post titled nursing school almost killed me. So if you haven't checked that out yet, I recommend you check it out. I want to say it's one of the earlier episodes I did, um, should be pretty easy to find. So the point of this is that I swear, I swear I had angina in a yoga class, you guys. I had not yet been diagnosed with anything, but at that time, as I found out later, my hematocrit was really, really high. I was getting these awful migraines because my blood, as it turns out, when your hematocrit's really high, your blood's thick and it doesn't flow through that microvasculature very well. So I was getting these awful migraines with aura. It was miserable. So I went to yoga I pushed myself probably a little harder than I normally did, and it just it just hit. I got this chest pain that took my breath away. And I'm standing there and I'm I'm holding my chest and I'm just thinking, what is this? It can't be my heart. I am way too young. I work out. I I go rock climbing at the indoor rock climbing gym. I do yoga. I cycle. I do all of these things. I did not believe that it could be angina. I did take a break for a few minutes. And as I rested, the pain slowly started to back off. Okay. So I was a complete idiot. I finished the yoga class. I mean, I did it with a lot less gusto, but I finished the yoga class. And then I didn't put that piece together with anything until weeks later when I learned that my hematocrit was really high and I did have this polycythemia condition. So little side story there, it hurt like heck. So what kind of angina do you think that was? It was brought on by exercise and it was relieved by rest. So that would be a stable angina. So have never had it since. My hematocrit levels are much, much better. I'm feeling great. So please don't worry about me. But if you want to read about it and how nursing school almost killed me, highly recommend that blog post, one of my favorite ones. So let's get back to talking about angina and the different types. One of the things you might be thinking is, well, if someone has atherosclerosis, they've got that plaque buildup in their arteries, why doesn't it hurt all the time? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that here. So patients with atherosclerosis may feel fine when they're resting. This is because when you're resting, your heart is not really resting too, but it's definitely not working at maximum capacity. So at that point, it's oxygen demands are low or normal, right? But let's say you're going to turn up the heart's oxygen demands and you do that by exercising, increasing the physical exertion. And now that heart with its increased oxygen demand, meaning it needs more oxygen to function properly, it's going to notice that it's not getting optimal oxygen. And that's when the angina hits. So vasospasms, remember we talked about the spasming. So that can also cause angina pain. Typically this occurs with that variant angina and the microvascular form. So as that artery is spasming, it's narrowing and it's not working properly. And you can guess what happens next, right? Narrow spasming arteries are going to lead to reduced blood flow, 
reduced blood flow means reduced oxygen, and bam, we get angina. Okay, now let's talk about how do we differentiate or know what kind of angina a patient has. I think you probably already have a pretty good idea of this just by going through the four different types, but let's talk about it here in a little bit more detail. So when you're assessing a patient with angina, you have these mad, good, awesome assessment skills, right? That's where they're going to come in. Of course, as the nurse, you're not diagnosing the angina, but you are the physician's eyes and ears when they're not at the bedside. So you need to be able to take your assessment, know what you're assessing for and why, so that you can present the patient's problems and your concerns to the medical team accurately. So one of the things you want to have the patient do, first of all, if they come in, they're probably going to say, my chest hurts. But if they haven't told you the location of the pain, you want to determine where that location is. Sometimes patients will say their pain is very specific or they'll point to it or they'll just generalize an area. You also want to do a full pain assessment. So there are lots of different modalities for doing this. Your school may have one that they prefer and that they teach, go with that. They're all very good. The one I like to use because it's simple and fast is PQRST. So just know that there's different ones. Your teachers may talk about a different one and that is great. But let's talk about PQRST. P stands for provocative and palliative. What makes the pain worse? What provokes it? What causes the pain in general? And what palliates the pain? What makes it better? So what makes it happen? What makes it worse? And what relieves it? What makes it better? That's the P. For Q, that's the quality. You want to have the patient describe the quality of their pain. And there are so many adjectives for this. The patient could say their pain is crushing, sharp, dull, knife-like, tearing, throbbing, all kinds of quality assessments when you're looking at a patient's pain. And then R is for radiate. You want to ask the patient if their pain radiates anywhere. For example, angina pain can radiate to the arm, often the left arm or the jaw. And then severity. Have the patient describe the severity of their pain. So typically we use that 0 to 10 scale, but there are a lot of other pain assessment scales out there. I think I will do an episode about this because it is something that you will be hammered on in nursing school and in clinicals. Not just assessing for pain, but using the correct pain scale for that patient and their situation. A lot of times we just use that simple 0 to 10 scale, but there are so many other ones and they each have a lot of advantages over others. So it depends on the patient and their situation. And then T is for time. Does the pain improve over time or does it get worse over time? So now we're going to look at the patterns and all the different characteristics of your pain assessment with each different type of angina. So let's look at a patient with stable angina. So the PQRST for this patient might look like the provocation is that it's exercise or stress that brings it on and it gets better when they take their nitro tablet or they sit down for 10 minutes. The quality of the pain with all types of angina is typically described as tightness, pressure, squeezing. We'll talk a minute about how women might experience different symptoms. 
Radiation, again, pretty much the same for all types of angina. It can radiate to the arm, jaw, shoulders, or back. And then for the severity, stable angina, the severity of this is probably going to be predictable for the patient. They have this repeatedly. It's always about the same level of pain, typically less severe than the other types of angina. And then for the T, stable angina, typically improves over time as long as that patient is resting or takes their medication. And it typically doesn't take too terribly long for the symptoms to improve. If the symptoms don't improve, we're looking at a more serious problem. For variant angina, that prismatol that I'm probably saying wrong, the provocation, it can occur at rest. Remember, this could be in the middle of the night or early morning, and I don't really know what the mechanism of that is. I'm assuming it's some kind of hormonal catecholamines. I don't even know. I didn't go down that rabbit hole, but it has something to do with that when you're going to have this pain, this pain occurring. The quality and the radiation, the same. It could be tightness, pressure, squeezing that radiates to the arm, jaw, shoulders, or back. And the severity with variant angina can be severe. It can hurt really bad. For that microvascular angina, the provocation is that it often occurs when the patient is resting. And it's going to last longer than half an hour. And the quality of it, tightness, pressure, squeezing, again, can radiate to the arm, jaw, shoulders, or back. And the severity of it is that it can be severe, very painful. And then for unstable angina, the provocation is that nothing really provokes it as far as the patient can can tell. Um, it occurs with activity. It occurs with rest. It's unpredictable. It's going to last, you know, longer, 30 minutes or longer. It's very dangerous. And it can, it can at times be uh, present even after medication is given. So pain not relieved by medication. The quality, again, that tightness, that pressure, that squeezing pain, radiating to the arm, jaw, shoulders, or back. Of course, not all anginas radiate. Just know that they can. And the severity with the unstable angina, it is very severe. This is very dangerous, very painful for your patient. Let's talk real quick about women and do they experience angina differently than men? And yes, they certainly can. So the American Heart Association, which is a fabulous organization, and they're real champions for women and heart disease, they tell us that women can be more likely to experience that microvascular form of angina, while men tend to more often get the angina due to a blockage. When I looked at the Mayo Clinic, which is another one of my go-to resources and has been ever since I started nursing school all those years ago, is that women can also experience these non-typical symptoms. They call it, well, people say non-typical, which actually kind of annoys me because women make up 50% of the population. So why are we non-typical? Um, but those different um, symptoms like nausea, feeling short of breath. The pain might be described as stabbing instead of a pressure feeling. Their pain could occur instead of the chest, in the neck, the back, the jaw, even in the abdomen. Um, women may also experience myocardial infarction differently than men, which I talk about a lot in that acute coronary syndrome episode. So check that out if you're interested. Now, as nurses, what is it that we do? We solve problems. When we see a problem, we fix it. 
when we see a potential problem that could happen, we try really hard to keep it from happening. And that, my friends, that is nursing. Bam, right there. So for patients with angina, we're going to try to fix it, right? So the key therapies are typically aimed at increasing that blood flow to the heart. So for the stable angina, again, most of the time for the patient, it's rest or rest and nitroglycerin. For variant angina, the patient might be on nitroglycerin and a calcium channel blocker for that vasospasm. The microvascular angina patient, a little bit more of a complicated treatment course. Remember, that's part of that ischemic heart disease picture. They may also be on those calcium channel blockers. They may also be on nitroglycerin nitrates of some kind maybe also even a beta blocker and a sodium blocker called renazoline. So lots of drugs for microvascular angina. So again, that treatment can be very complex, um, but those are just the general highlights. For unstable angina, we're going to talk about that all on its own in that podcast I've already recorded or on the blog post. So if you're interested in learning more about that, it's all over there, okay? So next week, guys, we are diving into one of the most fascinating medications you will ever give. This is nitroglycerin. So actually, I started this little series that I've been doing writing about nitroglycerin. But as I was writing about nitroglycerin, I started writing about angina. And then when I started writing about angina, I started thinking about acute coronary syndrome. So I thought, back up, let's talk about acute coronary syndrome, then we'll introduce angina. And now next week, we're going to talk about nitroglycerin, which is where this all started. And as of today, the day this episode is posting... Bootcamp is live. Can we all pause and just feel how awesome that is? I have been working on this for two years, you guys. So I'm very, very excited about it. It is all about critical concepts that are key to your nursing school success. So I will include a link. Hopefully it works. I've been having trouble with links on the podcast episode notes, but it will definitely be on the website. So if you go to straightanursingstudent.com, there is a link in that upper header that says bootcamp. Click on that. It will take you to the course. So yay, I'm so excited about that. And now that bootcamp is done, I'm working on another project. So also incredibly excited about this. This is my app. I have been working on this. Well, dreaming about it for probably the same amount of time that I was working on bootcamp, but I had to prioritize. I really wanted to get bootcamp out to you guys. The app has been in production now for about the past six months and it is getting close. So that's all I'm going to say about it now, but I just wanted you to know that I'm working on something amazing for you guys. So thank you again for spending your precious free time with me. I love being on your commute with you, your walks with you, folding laundry with you, cooking dinner with you, washing the dishes with you, whatever it is. I love that I'm a part of your life and I look forward to talking with you next week about nitroglycerin. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. 
This podcast is brought to you by StraightAnursingStudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.